For tonight's text I have chosen, I wish to read from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 17, beginning to read with verse 20. St. Luke 17, 20 and on. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto them, Disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that the Lot that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he, he which be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. September 3rd. 1999, at precisely 8.04 a.m., a call was made via a cell phone to emergency services, and the central dispatch of the ambulance service in Windsor, Ontario, received the following frantic call. Please send ambulance, fire, and police. The dispatcher asked, where? The caller said, 401, 401, 401. The dispatcher went further on to interrogate the caller, where precisely on 401? 
There was a slight pause and again the frantic call someplace around exit 20. Now, some of you that have driven to Windsor and have used 401 to come to the Windsor Church will recognize that that's a mere 15 or 10-minute drive east of the Windsor Church along Highway 401, just outside the borders of the city of Windsor. What was so unusual about September 3, 1999? It was a beautiful, sunny day. It was a day that was unusual from other days, the lazy, hazy days of summer. And was the weekend, the long weekend, the Friday before Labor Day weekend. Many travelers were planning their weekends. Those that had cottages were driving to their cottages perhaps for the last time during the summer. Those that were visiting relatives took the opportunity to leave a day early and to travel on a Friday to spend a little extra time with their loved ones. Students were traveling both from Windsor and to Windsor to attend school and different colleges and universities. Amongst the travelers was a young lady with her mother. Her name was Anne Marie. She was 19 years old. She had just finished high school. She lived in LaSalle. That's a suburb just on the outskirts of Windsor. And she was certainly looking forward to spending a weekend with relatives and with her mother before the new semester started. I remember the day quite well. I had, as usual, had gone into my car and had headed out to City Hall. And on that particular that particular summer, I was in charge of a very delicate project around City Hall. It was not unusual to see the mayor of the city of Windsor once or twice a week strolling to take a look at the project. It was his little pet project. And he had put me in charge of that project. And I could tell from the demeanor on his face before I even had a chance to observe him fully and exchange pleasantries in that morning hour, that he was in a somber mood. And I thought, well, maybe I had done something wrong. When you work at City Hall and for politicians, you never know what's going to come up. And as soon as we exchanged the pleasantries, he asked me if I heard of the terrible pileup that had occurred just a mere half an hour before on 401. And his precise words were, it's a bad one, Mike. It's a bad one. I didn't know, nor did the mayor know at that precise point in time, how bad this pileup on 401 was. It became pretty obvious that what had happened is the weather forecast didn't call for any unusual conditions, but yet, After the reconstruction of the accident, it was quickly realized that there were patches of fog. Now, all of you, and and certainly I, have had experience driving through fog. It's an unusual phenomena. Sometimes you will drive and within seconds you're back in sunshine. Then all of a sudden, you're in another patch of fog. What was so unusual about 
one particular patch that the motorists encountered was that it was so dense that the visibility was zero. Anne-Marie and her mother were careful drivers. And being careful, they had slowed down slightly. But alas, they were caught up in the pileup. It was later determined that 85 vehicles were involved. Eight people died. Six of them, amongst six of them, was Anne-Marie. She met her untimely death. No fault of hers. She was merely driving, minding her own business. And you might say she was unlucky. You might say that she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Nevertheless, she perished in the accident. There were three separate groups of accidents. And what the emergency services later called the hot zone, there were 14 cars and five tractor trailers involved. One of the tractor trailers was a diesel fuel carrier carrying about 8,000 gallons of diesel fuel. The tanker ruptured and spilled diesel all over the road. The heat was so intense that news media were not even allowed to take pictures of the aftermath. Anne-Marie and her mother were re-rendered. She couldn't open her doors. Her mother was rescued by 10 of the people that were nearby. There was pandemonium. There were, at this time, accidents in both directions, and the emergency services couldn't even get close to the accident site. Anne-Marie, which the transcripts don't show, but I have personally talked to the fire chief who had given us an account of some of the horror that he had witnessed and heard. They were so close, but yet they couldn't help her because the heat was so intense. And the last parting words of Anne-Marie were, I'm too young to die. And you might say, well, these things happen to others. They don't happen to, to us. They don't happen to apostolic Christian ch uh, children. They certainly do. And we have certainly had our share of accidents and facing untimely deaths. I have just learned that a 10-year-old boy in California just last Friday had accidentally drowned in a swimming pool. So it does happen to us. It happens to you and I. The question is, are we ready? Do we have the kingdom of God within us? Anne Marie's comments would lead you to believe that she had no one to help her. And she realized that she was in a hopeless situation and uttered, I'm too young to die. Let me give you an account of another death. About 75 years ago, a young man in a village in Yugoslavia 
His name was Mirko. He was an industrious man. He was a man that labored in his little plots of land that he possessed. He had a little plot of land where he grew corn and wheat and whatever else was grown at the time. He had a little vineyard, and he had the most beautiful house in the village, the best-kept house. And other people in the village coveted his plots of land because they were situated ideally on the outskirts of the village and next to the mountain. And certainly, it wasn't just the location, but it was the produce that came out of that plot and that was able to sustain Mirko's family and his five children. Mirko was a well-respected man. He was a God-fearing man. He attended all of the notable holidays and, and events that the Orthodox Church practiced. The priest would visit him once or twice a year, and he was a good-standing Christian by the standards of the village. He was well-respected, too, because he feared God, and he also had obedient children. Mirko, in his mid-40s, was diagnosed with cancer. And it wasn't long, many weeks after, that he lay on his deathbed. And here's his parting words. When the family was surrounding, uh, was surrounding him, he uttered two expressions. He said, don't die in the state that I'm dying in. Go and join the Nazareans. Now, Mirko had never set foot in a Nazarene church, but he respected the two or three Nazarene members that lived in his village. And one of the reasons is that really there wasn't a church in that village. They had to travel to the next church to worship every Sunday. And these members of the Nazareans had made such a big impression on Mirko that he had one thought when he was dying. And I'm reminded of, of, of Brother Tom Hurdy's account of the diver that was in the depths of the cave, and he had one mission on his mind, to save and to accomplish that which he came to do. And certainly Miracle had one mission before he uttered his last breath. He said, don't do what I did. Go and join the church. He had such a respect for the Nazareans that that was his last thought before he departed to eternity. He knew, he knew he had observed and seen that the Nazareans were a peculiar people. He also must have felt that they possessed the Spirit of God. And he also must have recognized that it is a gift that he did not possess. And he wanted to save his family. And you know, because of that urgent plea, and wish and desire that he expressed. His wife and one of his children heeded that calling. And your servant is a testament. You see, Mirko was my grandfather. And I would probably not be standing here 
had he not uttered and come to that realization that he was on the wrong path, that he didn't possess the kingdom of God within him. And he reached out and he said, my family needs to be saved. Let me give you an account of another untimely death. We have mentioned at least on one or two occasions during the, this camp. And that's the untimely death of Brother Octavian. Brother Octavian, also met by standards of human life, an, unt an untimely death. But yet, there is a vast difference between the first two accounts and the account of Octavian's death. And we have heard it. And perhaps one of the reasons why God removed him so quickly and so soon in his life is perhaps so that you and I may have a testimony that we may have been witnesses to how it is to die when one has complete faith, when one has God within his heart. Octavian had God and he had trusted in God. You see, Octavian is a symbol of that banner that's behind us. And young man, young woman, if you have not perhaps studied that banner, it is perhaps time that you study and you reason within your heart what that really means. The, kim the kingdom of God, you can take it as a statement, is and certainly is here today. And Jesus said it doesn't come with observation, but it's within the heart of man. It's within you. And I certainly, I have not talked to Brother Philip, who I understand is the artist, but I can, we can see the symbolism. We can see that God must be the center of the individual's being, of the individual's heart. It's God that's the center of the universe. It's God that should be the king, the sovereign one of our lives, of our total being, because by him we came into being. And one day that, you know, we, we, we have read in this particular chapter that one day Jesus will come in power and glory as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth to the west. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Unpredictable. Just as unpredictable as that fog was that embraced that section of 401 where the heat was so intense that they had to keep the road closed for a number of days to repave it. And they never even showed. The news media were totally blacked out. That's the untimely death of Anne-Marie. But... You and I have the privilege to recognize and to acknowledge that our death, if it's untimely, can be such that we can leave in righteousness, in peace, in hope, having the assurance. As Octavian said, you know, his last departing words were, I want to go home. And when Sister Layla asked him, where is home? He knew where it was. He said, in heaven. And she said, I will see you there. I love you. 
That was his parting word. He had no trepidation. He had no regrets. Oh yes, as a human being, he might have had regrets that he, might, he would not see his boys grow up to be teenagers. He would not have the opportunity to teach them, to play with them, and to see them grow in, in knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. He certainly would miss those opportunities, but he also recognized that the call of God was final and he was prepared. He was prepared and he was ready because he had the kingdom of God within him. My dear friend, how much more will it take to move you, to motivate you? Perhaps you need to experience another death, perhaps a tragic experience of a dear friend. I don't know what it'll take. God only knows, and only God knows what it'll take to shatter your hardened heart, to move you and to motivate you, to allow Jesus Christ and God to penetrate and to embrace you and to surround you by his love, by his mercy. Oh, you might say, I have lots of time. I intend to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, but not today. I'll do it tomorrow. I have unfinished business. I have relationships to break. I have schools to finish. I have my education before me. Perhaps it's, it's my job. I just need one more thing to fall into place, and I will then be ready to allow the kingdom of God within my heart. But you see, it doesn't work like that. You see, there's many a young, a young man and a young woman that has pushed their, and if I could use that expression, please forgive me for it, they're locked to the limit, only to have lost out. And we have heard last night that not, not all that, that see violence and, and have violence around them and within their hearts become conquerors and victors. Only those that embrace Jesus Christ, only those that allow God fully into their heart and mind, and you know, when I'm reminded of the, of the people at Jerusalem, uh, of the great sermon of, of Peter, when he preached to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and when they were moved and convicted and pricked within their hearts, we said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did the apostle tell, uh, apostles tell them? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the difference between the three deaths that we talked about is that, that the first two did not have Jesus Christ, did not have a Holy Spirit that they could rely upon in the end days. Brother Octavian had the gift of the Holy Spirit and he was ready and prepared to meet his maker. The question is, are you ready? If God would call you tonight, as he called Anne-Marie, you see, Anne-Marie had no intentions 
of, of being involved in an accident, let alone dying. But yet fate took over, and she expired prematurely. She departed from this life to have no more opportunity to do things to make right, to become knowledgeable in the Word of God, and to allow the kingdom of God to be established in her heart and her mind. And you might say to yourself, well, I know all of this, but what do I need to do specifically? What do I need to do? How do I approach God? Approach Him as the sinner that approached God when He prayed, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And God will have mercy. He will show mercy to you. And you might say, well, I know I need to be baptized, but I don't really know what baptism means. You know, baptism, and we're certainly not talking about the same baptism of John the Baptist. Many came to, to be baptized by John the Baptist. Those that embraced the Mosaic Law, and they were baptized. It was a symbol of, of making a, a, or reestablishing a covenant, a covenant that God had made with His people. But the baptism comes from the Greek word uh, that, that says baptizo, which means immersion, to be totally immersed. And symbolically, the immersion took place in water. But what it signified was there was a total public commitment that one was prepared to acknowledge that they fell short, to acknowledge their heart's conviction and to confess they wanted to reestablish the covenant with the living God. And the baptism of Jesus Christ is no different. The baptism, when we are baptized, we are immersed into His holy word. We are immersed so that we can be cleansed so that God can make a dwelling place within that heart so that He can give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, Nicodemus is, is the one that came to Jesus and questioned. He was a Pharisee, knowledgeable in the law, had the knowledge but didn't understand the spiritual context of Jesus' mission. And what did Jesus tell him? He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And my friend, on Monday, or rather, on Sunday night, Brother Tom Hurtick reminded us that we cannot be dual citizens. We cannot serve God and mammon. We have to make a choice. Oh yes, that's part of the conversion process. That's part of the baptism rite, is to make a conscious choice and to then seek your soul's salvation in fear and trembling, with a penitent heart, acknowledging that you have wronged God, acknowledging that you have been a sinner, and seeking His forgiveness, and also acknowledging 
that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes your sins away. Not only washes them, but places them in a sea of forgetfulness to be reminded no more. And when you become a child of God, when you have God within you, then you also are ready to receive the Holy Spirit. But you see that that change has to be a change that should be noticed, not just by the individual that's going through that experience, but it ought to be witnessed by others. Just like my grandfather had noticed a peculiar people, we need to recognize when a soul is moved and motivated by God's Holy Spirit. And we need to recognize that. And there has to be a total change of heart, of mind, change of attitude. And then you can begin to approach God's holy throne of grace. Then God can begin to mold you and to make you unto a vessel of honor as opposed to a vessel of dishonor. And God is a merciful God. We pray that His mighty Holy Spirit may move you, may motivate you, so that you too may seek the counsel of those that have walked before, the counsel of those that, that are knowledgeable in the Word of God. And we implore you that if you feel the moving of the Spirit, if you feel the conviction of the mighty hand of God, if you're pricked within your heart, if you're condemned by your sin, there's good news because Jesus can, can remove those. He will remove that burden and He will allow you to progress. So He will allow you and show you the steps of repentance. Quite often when we counsel with young ones, and you know, it's amazing how sometimes there is little knowledge. We assume that our children that are brought up with us, that attend Sunday schools, that they're extremely knowledgeable, and certainly some are, and a lot of them have the knowledge, but they don't have the faith. But it's amazing how often we have to go to the basic principles. You would think that they had never stepped inside the church. My dear friend, Now's the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. You see, one day, all of us, all of us will have to stand before the living God. When Jesus gathers, when he comes upon the clouds to gather his own, you know, the, the disciples and those around him, Pharisees, asked him, where will they go? And we can certainly find in, in, in the book of Revelations where that place is. And I think it's worth reading the few passages that describe the events, the final events of the last judgment. We can find that in the uh, book of Revelations, chapter 20. What did John see? He said, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on the, it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't think the Bible can be any plainer than that explanation. What happens when you die when you don't have the kingdom of God within you? You are cast into hell. There's no ifs or buts about it. That's God's word. And we pray that as many as have gathered with us, that they would heed this urgent call, that they would reason within their hearts and ask, God, please enter my heart. God, please allow me to be your citizen. Please allow me to embrace you and to worship you so that if, if I should experience death, and we all will experience it one day, but if I should experience it tomorrow, that I can go with the confidence, having the knowledge that I have made peace with thee, the living God, that I will have no regrets if I'm caught in the situation that Anne Marie was in, that I can go in peace and in calmness with the confidence and the hope that I will resurrect with the dead, that I will be part of that great kingdom, the other kingdom that's beyond. And we pray that God would give you much grace and much mercy and that all of us would examine ourselves, those of us that have made a covenant. The Bible says if, if we have put our hands on the plow, no man were, uh, that has placed his hand on the plow looking back is worthy for the kingdom. And that's a warning for you and I, my dear brother and sister, that when we have placed our hand on the plow, we ought not look back. We need to look forward. We need to focus our eyes upon Mount Zion, upon Jesus Christ. And you know, if you feel, Brother Tom Hurtig also talked about a great revolution taking place. And I pr trust and pray, we all trust and pray that that great revolution is taking place within your heart and your mind. That there is a great battle going on. And that you will use even if necessary violence to possess the kingdom of God. We pray that you will have an experience that will change your life an experience that will make such a deep impression upon you that you will want to become a Nazarene, a, a child of God, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. We trust and pray that God would do the miracle in your life and that that impression may be made by His Holy Spirit. One day, we shall all have to face God. And we would like to conclude this service with, with the song that says God's love inspires confidence. I'm going to read the two verses.
which will be sung. The dark and dreary, life's way, and burdens hard to bear, there's one whose love will never fail. My heart shall never despair. My hope is stayed in him today, and he will safely lead to that sweet home beyond the sea. Christ's love is all I need. And when I hear the boatman's call, come cross the chilly tide, I shall not fear to launch the bark, for Christ is at my side. He bore the sting of death for me, has met my every need, and so I sing the sweet refrain, Christ's love is all I need. I'd like to call the quartet now. <laughs> 